want us to turn our Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 3. We'll pick up, uh, we'll start out in, in verse 20 this morning. And, and thank you, Landon, I appreciate it. Uh, but Revelation chapter 3, and we'll look at verse 20 initially. I don't have it on the screen this morning, um, but you'll have to follow along either in your Bible. Hopefully you have the, uh, if not on your, your hard copy of the Bible, uh, maybe you have it on your phone. If not, I'll make sure to read it clear this morning. But we've been looking at during our sermon series, our summer sermon series of Brother Jake titled it, How'd You Hear It? And just kind of looking at different uh, passages of Scripture in the Bible of uh, different passages of Scripture that you may have heard it a certain way and been interpreted a certain way. But we want to look at those uh, passages of Scripture in its right context. And so one of the passages of Scripture that we looked at a few weeks ago was Philippians 4.13. I have challenged several people before in reading the verses before Philippians 4.13 in the, in the passage there and also just skipped over 13 and read 14 and 15 and said to them, do you think that this sounds like an athletic verse or do you even sound like that this verse even fits in that passage of scripture? And the reason is, is because Paul, when you look at that scripture, was looking at, was talking about, you know, I've been in situations where I have been poor, that I have been in need. Paul says, I've also looked at, in Philippians 4.13, he says, I've also looked at, I've uh, been in situations where I've been able to give to other people and been a help to them. And he says, no matter if I have been rich or I've been poor, he says, I am content in the state that I am in. And he says, through that, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so Paul is talking about of how he has just found a place of contentment in the Lord. Now, I'm, I'm really happy on the, other, on the flip side that people want to use Scripture for places of encouragement. So we're definitely not going against that. But we want to look at these passages of Scripture in its right context. One of the ones that we looked at as well is Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, it talks about the Lord. The Lord has uh, plans for you, plans for you to prosper, plans for you to grow. And we looked at last week of what that really means, and what was He telling to the, what was He saying to the Israelites of how He could really encourage them in their way in the Lord, and what was happening in their life, and how that is really, uh, how we can really use that scripture in our everyday life. But people take that and kind of twist it and, and make it in a way like anything that I just uh, put my hands to that the Lord is wanting to bless and prosper. Uh, well, the Lord, is, the Lord is interesting in our life. He really wants us to move forward and, and, to, and to prosper, but He wants to do it in His way and in His timing. And we looked at that scripture uh, last week. Another one that we looked at, just kind of a refresher, is uh, we looked at... Uh, in the book of Luke when he tells us not to judge and what that really means. You know, people have that and have that slogan, you know, who am I to judge? Who am I to do these uh, different things to other people? And when you look at it in the right context, what, he, what Jesus was telling them, judge not that you yourself would be judged with the same condemnation you judge other people, that condemnation will be coming to you. But he also tells them that first when you take the, when you take the plank out of your own eye, He's actually, he says you're in a better situation to help your brother out in the speck in his, you know, in his eye. Meaning that once we deal with our sin and our situation between us and the Lord, then we're in a better situation to walk hand in hand with our brother to be able to help them out. And in other words, if you've ever been in a situation where you have found yourself in sin and, 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 and being condemned by the Lord, and you are able to deal with that sin. And when you deal with other people and you see them going through that same struggle, you don't come down on them in a, a harsh, difficult way because you feel the pain and the anguish that you know what you've gone through. Now they're going through that. And so you're in a better situation to even help them in that. And so it completely changes the dynamic when you understand the full context of Scripture. I hope I explained that really quick. I was trying to hurry through that. But Revelation chapter 3, if you're like me, I grew up in church. Uh, I never remembered a time, there was never a time in my life where I wasn't in church. So I've seen, I've seen churches really on fire for the Lord, really moving, doing things. And I've, and I've been a part of just kind of dead, routine, everyday church. I've seen really great things in the Lord and I've seen some really bad things that have happened in church. I, I've seen the, I've said before, the, the old felt board uh, in Sunday school classes, if some of the older uh, folks in here remember that. 
I've gone through services where all we did was sing the hymns in every verse and skip the third verse. I've done all those things in church. I, I know it's, it's funny because whenever I, uh, I'll sing a hymn, uh, I have a Rolodex in my head of all the old hymns and I'll burst out and start singing them. And I, was, uh, I say to my kids, we, this was our normal Sunday morning service songs that they're just not really accustomed to. The reason I say that about different things that I have been accustomed to in my life at the age of 42, but my dad in ministry, many people around me that are in ministry, uh, just growing up in church, like I said, you hear a lot of different things and you think certain things mean something. And when you look at it in scripture, again, going back into our context of where we're at uh, through our sermon series, I, when I have heard this verse, it has really been used in Revelation 3 verse 20 like a lost person to a person who does not lo know the Lord. And when you look at that verse, and I'm gonna get, let's get down to our scripture. I've been all over the place giving us a summary. But in Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And so your first impression of this and what I've always, the reason I gave that background as far as my church history, it's been like this has been the, the, the Lord is standing at an unbeliever's heart and life and knocking on their door of their heart wanting to come in. Let me also preface by saying this morning, I do believe when it comes to salvation and a person who does not know the Lord, I believe salvation starts with the Lord. I believe the Lord is the one that initiates. He's already done everything on the cross for us. He's already shown his love. We love him because he first loved us. And I believe the only way for us to even know and experience what true love is from the Lord and what he's done for us, his spirit is the one that moves in our hearts, in our minds to reveal to us our need for even a savior. If the Lord is dealing with you uh, in this situation that, you know what, I need a relationship with the Lord, that was not initiated by you, but yet it was initiated by His Spirit. So when we look at this passage of Scripture and you say, okay, maybe it doesn't pertain to a lost person. That's not who the Lord was speaking to. Who was He speaking to? He was actually speaking to a church and telling the church that He was outside knocking on the door of the church. And will you just let me in? Now, this morning when we look at this passage of Scripture, the title of this message, when we look at verses 14 through 22, is Lunch with the Lord. Uh, uh, I sent a, a message to someone yesterday that this was the title of my message, and they wanted to know what I was cooking this morning. Well, I don't have anything to cook. I hope you get the impression and I hope you get the understanding of, of on, this, on this sermon title of what that really is going to mean for us. Because I really believe this is what the Lord was trying to tell this church. And he's really going to tell us this morning is to really have a lunchtime with the Lord. See, if I preach long enough, that stomach this morning is really going to tell you it's really time to go, Right. And then and somebody in the back, I already see him over there. He's going to start doing this, that he's going to tell me it's time to wrap it up. It's time to go to lunch. Uh, I'm just picking. But lunch with the Lord. Could you imagine? Let's just take a, a second. Could you imagine if we had an opportunity this morning when we left this place and whether it was going to L2 can or, two can, or, or, or uh, coconuts or whatever, that we would be able to just go in there and have a one-on-one -on -one lunch meeting with the Lord. To seek questions, to seek answers for our questions, to, to seek direction in our life, to just even just have conversation with the Lord, a two-way conversation for us to speak to Him and for Him to speak to us. To have that kind of relationship, for Him to hear us, for Him to hear us and us to be able to hear Him. And I believe when we look at this scripture, that's what the Lord's real intention is in this passage of scripture, is lunch with the Lord. When we look at this in verse 14, what's happening here is that he writes, this is Jesus in, in his words, and he's telling this to John, the apostle John. And he says in verse 14, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, and he says, write these things. 
And so what's happening here, just to bring us up to speed, I talked about bringing us up to speed as far as the sermon series. I talked about bringing us up to speed as far as just even my background. But now bringing us up to speed of where we are in Scripture, what's happening here is John the Apostle. He was one of the disciples. He walked with Jesus. He had a relationship with Jesus while he was on this earth. He was part of the inner circle with Jesus as far as Jesus' close disciples, Peter, James, and John. And so John had a very close relationship with Jesus when he was on this earth. Once Jesus ascended into heaven after he died uh, on the cross for our sins and arose on the third day, he ascends up into heaven. And then John and the other disciples, Peter and, and, and the rest of them, they all begin to just do the work of the Lord. And they're doing a great, unbelievable job of seeing people come to know the Lord. And they're spreading the gospel not only into Jerusalem and Israel area, but they're also expanding that ministry into, uh, into the, really throughout the world. But they get into a place in Asia, in Asia Minor. And so they start to spread the gospel to the rest of the Gentiles. And so several of the churches that Paul had started or people around Paul that had started, uh, whether it was Ephesians or Colossians and uh, all of those different places there in the, in the lower part of Asia. These people were coming to know the Lord and their churches were strong and their churches were vibrant and they were moving forward in them. And all these different things are happening. And then Paul, uh, Jesus says to John, he goes, I'm going to put you in this island. And he says, I'm going to tell you things. I'm going to show you things. I'm going to reveal things to you that I want you to write down of what you hear and what you see. And we know that time when he gave that information to John, it is called the book of Revelation. He's writing to seven literal. The first thing that John is recording that Jesus write, that Jesus speaks is seven literal churches there in uh, that was real in that time in these cities that Paul had helped start. But John writes the, to these seven churches and he, when he starts out in verse 14 as he did in the other previous six churches, he writes it to the angel of that church. And many people believe that angel is called the, the one that is over that church, the overseer of that church, it is the pastor of that church. And John is writing to them of what is to happen. Now many people Many people not only believe that because we believe that is seven literal churches, but people also believe theologians that this is also a picture of seven time periods throughout history. Meaning the first one that we read about in the chapter two, it is part of the first church era. And when we go throughout history, many people believe that we are in the last church age or the last church of, in history, and that is this church, the Laodicean church. That when they group us up, they say that we're in this last church age in, in Revelation chapter 3. And it's called the Laodicean church, but also referred to as the lukewarm church. And so as we read this, understand who is he writing to? He's writing to a specific church, but he's also writing to believers. He's writing to Christians even today. And so he says to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans in verse 14, he says, these things says the amen. This is Jesus speaking and it's in red because he tells him there in chapter one, John, I'm speaking these, these things to you. He goes, this is Jesus. This is the one who had died, who rose again and who lives uh, forevermore. He goes, I am the true witness. He said, I want you to write these things down for me. And in verse, and, and so we're reading this in Jesus's words here. And he tells John in the second half of verse 14, these things says the truth. These things says the amen. When somebody says amen in church, it's okay to say amen. What it's saying is not only do I agree with you, but more important than that, that what you're saying is true. It is true. It is truth. And so Jesus is saying, listen, I am the truth. I am the one speaking these things. He says, I am the faithful and true witness. He says the beginning of the creation of God. Now, Jesus wasn't created as you and I are created. Jesus was always God. He's always been God, but he's saying he is the origin of creation. John had told us in his gospel, in the, in the first chapter of the gospel of John, that all these things were made through him and for him as far as Jesus Christ. 
Creation was made for him to bring glory to him. He says, this is he, John. This is the one that you wrote about. This is the one that you experienced. He said, this one is the one that is saying this to this church. In verse 15. He says to, to, this, uh, to this church specifically, and I believe it can speak to our hearts this morning. He says, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. And I could wish you were cold or hot. And many people really misinterpret this. Like Jesus is saying in a way that I really wish that you were indifferent from God's word. That you were just cold. That you just didn't, that didn't care about the things of God. I'd rather you be in a place of just wandering and without me versus and then are either hot and on fire for God. Really, Jesus is he did this in his earthly ministry. And I hope that we can do this, whether it's me, Brother Jake or anybody else up here. I hope we can make scripture very relevant to us. Not that we're messing up the gospel or twisting the gospel to make it make sense to us, but we need to be relevant to the things that we are dealing with in our, in our, in our everyday life. And Jesus did that through scripture. When he would give them an example or a reference, they knew exactly what he was talking about. For us, we got to kind of go dig through and find a little bit of history of what that means to be a shepherd or what that means to, you know, to be able to attend uh, to this or that. They knew exactly what he was talking about because it really hit home with them. He, he, they knew in the context that he was speaking. When he's speaking to this church, Laodicea, the city was located close to two cities that were known for two things that were completely opposite. One, uh, a city just to the east of them was known for its cold springs. Its cold springs, just that, that, that springs of water that was coming in that region next to them. The place with the cold, with the cold water was Colossae just to the east of them. And so then there was another city just to the north of them that was known for its hot springs like we would know, like our, our friends in Arkansas at Hot Springs, Arkansas, that were known for those kind of hot springs that would really. And both of them had its value, didn't it? I, I was, as I was preparing for this, this last, actually last couple weeks, thinking of this verse in mind and thinking about the benefits of things that are hot. You know, things that, that we really look forward to. You know, we don't want to drink cold coffee, right? Some of us that are coffee drinkers and, and drink it black like I do, right? I mean, some of us, we want, it, we want it hot. If it was cold or lukewarm, we want nothing to do with it. And there are some things, especially the way the heat is right now, we don't want to do anything that is, that is hot. Imagine if the air condition was not working this morning. And you say, I wish it was a little cooler in here. That's how I feel this morning running around. But... Thank the Lord we're not having service outside because we would just be wiping our brow throughout the whole throughout the whole message because it is hot outside. So we thank we're thankful for a cold glass of water. We're thankful for air conditioning. We're thankful for those cold things in our life. And so it doesn't matter if it's the it's the hot things that were north of them or the cold things that were over there to the east of. And about the times those things got pumped into Laodicea, guess what they were? They were lukewarm. If that was transported from the east or coming from the north to that city, about the time they got it to their, to their city, it was lukewarm. And Jesus is telling them, listen, you're neither cold and you're neither hot. And he says, I want to, he says, you're lukewarm. This is what he tells them in their spiritual temperature of their lives and their attitude. Verse 16. He says, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, my, I want to vomit you out of my mouth. It's disgusting. It's nasty. I don't want it. It's not fellowship with me. And so sometimes, like I was saying a while ago, you know, sometimes we have, we'll have the, the best singers, we'll have the best musicians, and we'll perform those things to the Lord. And depending on the heart and when it comes up to the Lord, how he'll receive it. If it's really done with a pure heart, the Bible says that the Lord receives our praises. And, and it's a sweet smelling aroma to him. But even with all the best singers and the best musicians or the best sermon, if it's done in an attitude that is not pure before the Lord, he said it is a stench in the nostril of the Lord. 
And if a person can come up here without the best talent, without the, without the ability to even play these things, or the, uh, without the ability to, to even speak uh, in front of other people, but they do it with the right heart and right mind and being led by the Lord, even in, it, it doesn't come across right, but it can speak to your heart and it is praise to the Lord. It's a sweet smelling aroma to him. And he's saying, listen, you're in a situation where whenever I get the things that you're doing or not doing, he says, it makes me want to vomit. Because by the time it comes to me from this place in the cold, it's lukewarm. When it comes from this place from the hot, it's lukewarm. And it doesn't feel good at all. It's not right. He says, you, you, you've lost that, that vigor. You've lost that fight in you. In verse 17, he says, because you say... And it was a church, there was a church in chapter 2, verse 9 that said something different, that they actually said that they were poor. And in, and in the context, when they refer to themselves as poor, Jesus reminds them that you're not poor, you're rich. You know, when you read the book, even in the book of Ephesians, when he tells you all the things you are in Christ, he says, but in Christ you've been made rich. But this church... I don't know if you've ever had a dose of reality before. Sometimes you start to think, and I, being in church long enough and being in ministry long enough, I've been told, and I've had doses of reality before. I've been told what they think of me to the T, uh, and, and, you know, in, in, a, in a bad situation. I don't know if you've ever had a real dose of reality and people tell you what they really, really think of you. It's not always pleasant. It's not pleasant. And so when Jesus really uh, pulls back that layers and he tells you and gives you the real rundown of what he thinks of you because of your because of your heart. That could really be earth shattering. Verse 17 says, because you say from your mouth, I am rich. I have become wealthy and have need of nothing. These people have no longer become dependent upon the Lord. They are self-sufficient. They have their act together. Everybody else, let me tell you something. All the other churches, I'm telling you, are envious of this church. They have money in the bank. They have the nice building. Whether they don't have the nice building, just their situation. They have their act together. It looks good. And they say to them themselves, I am rich, I am wealthy, I have need of nothing. And, you say, and Jesus says, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Boy, when, when you have a, when you think of yourself in a certain way that, you know what, I've got it together, I'm rich, I am really standing on, on a good situation. Because when you talk to people, when you talk to people outside of church, they will tell you that they got their act together, that between them and God, it may not look like the, you know, the best Christian relationship, but I'm good. They, they think that they're good when it comes to salvation and a relationship with the Lord and even in their everyday life. Like me and almost, they don't say this, but me and God's got it worked out. But even deeper, looking at ourselves, because that's what he's really doing. He's not necessarily like the whole point of the message is that he's not even just dealing with this to the world and to someone who doesn't have a relationship with the Lord. But these are people who had a relationship with the Lord. And he's standing right outside that door saying, you won't even let me in because you think you have it all together. And he says, not only do you not have it all together, but you're not even close. The things that you, you say you're in good situation, you're actually a wretched person. You're actually miserable because you're not even in the same ballpark as me. We're not even in the place of fellowship with one another. He says, you think you're rich, but you're poor. You think you can see things that are happening, but yet you're blind. You think you're clothed and in fine garments because that's how you're coming into church and you're dealing with each other as, as if you have your act all together, but yet you're naked. And so they lost their values. They've lost what it was all about from the beginning. Now, I say that to us as individuals. I say that to us as a church. And I say that to us as a universal church. 
Because that's where we find ourselves this morning. And you say, you know what, Garen? Uh, you know, I, I know how I'm dealing in my life and I know, that, you know, maybe I'm not where I uh, once was or as a church, you know, we've just been busy with the pandemic and uh, there's a lot of things happening this summer. You know, there's always things in our lives that we're really not where we really should be in our Christian walk. And so this morning, it doesn't, and the reason I say that is because we all need to examine, we all need to be in a place this morning where we got real and found out the temperature that is going on in our life. Lord, what are you trying to show me? Where are you, what are you trying to lead me in my life this morning? Because I think that I'm good. I think that I am progressing in my Christian life, but am I really? Am I really? Am, am I something or somewhere where I think I am that I'm not really there? And he tells this group of believers he says, you're just so far from it. In verse 18, going back to their values of what they should have, he says, I counsel you to buy from me. He starts to turn it where, and I didn't say this yet, but in the other six, uh, basically all the other six uh, churches, he tells them things that are complimentary to them. And I kept on thinking about this as far as my kids. I'll say to them, and they'll, they'll definitely understand this. Uh, you did good cleaning your room. You did good uh, picking up the dishes. But I told you that you needed to fold the clothes before you got to play PlayStation. You know, like you did good. You did good. But here's some things that I have issues with you. And when you look at what the Lord tells the different churches, it was that kind of situation where you did good here. But here's some things that I have against you. For them, he just told them, you're in a mess. Like you've completely are doing your own thing because you're so blinded by your self-worth, by thinking that pride has set in and has made you blind, poor, and miserable. Verse 18, he tells them, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. He tells them, listen, I, instead of you being rich in a situation where earthly you look like you're wealthy but spiritually you're not you're not dependent upon me you have acquired this wealth because of yourself not because of me and so for us boy this is a great reminder for us not only again like I said for me as an individual but, but for us as a church the Lord has been so gracious to us we have seen over the, over the time of pandemic that churches have closed their doors. You know, we've been in a situation not only being able to be in here, but also to save money. And it doesn't matter if there is a million dollars in the bank. You have to be dependent upon the Lord for each and every day of your life. Let me give you a personal example for me. I started a new job. Uh, or I had a promotion in my job and there was times over the last six months, seven months that I have wanted to just say, why am I doing this to myself? Why am I doing this to my family? Where I wanted to throw in the towel and just go back to what I was doing before in sales. And with that promotion, like I said, came a lot of, a lot of stress. A lot of things, like I said, are just questioning like, why in the world would I want to do this? And so it put me in a place each and every morning where I was really desperate for the Lord to come through not only in just my, my spirit and in my life and in my family's life, but also what was pertaining, what was really kind of dragging me down at work. But it really got me to a place where I was just desperate for the Lord, just really each and every day to speak to my heart, to work things out before me. And the Lord, in His timing, would work those things out and I would and then I would turn the page for the next time and I'd become more desperate again for the next situation. And then I, I've tried to remind myself, I've tried to remind myself when those things get worked out and I'm not in that kind of need that I still need to be that desperate for the Lord the next day even though there's not a big huge thing right there in front of me. In other words, even if there is $100,000 in the bank, and even if there is a million dollars in the bank, whatever the situation is, 
and the need's not as great, you still need to be desperate for the Lord. And that's what this church lost. Because when they got the money in the bank and they were clothed well, they didn't need God anymore. And they left him out. He was outside the door when he should have been right there in the midst of them, showing them how to use the things that God had blessed them with. And because they were not, and they put him outside, they were naked, they were unclothed. And moving on again in verse 18, he says, but I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. You can have the gold as long as the gold don't have you. You need to have me. He goes, you need to have the things that I give you that you may be rich. I want you to be rich. I want you to be prosperous. But the world's riches are not my riches. He says, and in white garments, it's okay that you came in with the garments that you had, but your garments, even though they look good earthly, they were, they were rags to my riches. And he says that you may be really clothed, that in shame and, and that the shame of your nakedness may be revealed. It goes back to the Garden of Eden. You remember that whenever they were in sin, they realized that they were naked. And then they said to them, Lord, clothe us because we're naked. The Lord said, who told you you were naked? Their sin revealed to them that they were naked and poor and that they needed to be clothed and cover themselves because of their shame. And he says, listen, you're clothed, but you're clothed not in spiritual clothing, but you're clothed in material clothing, that, but, but you're naked spiritually. He goes that you may be in a situation, verse 18, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. He said, because I have clothed you. And then the last thing, he hits home with them again. He says, anoint your eyes with this eye, uh, say, how do you say that word? Salve. Salve. I knew that. Thank you. Salve. And guess what? Salve. They were known. If you look it up, they were known for this eye, salve. This place, this city, Laodicea. That's what they were known for. And in that time, in that time period. And he says, even the thing that, and, and the Lord goes back to, again, what they're accustomed to. And even though you're known for that, that I solution in your life, in, you know, in your physical life. He goes, you can't even use it on yourself because that's talking about physical things. And he says, that is spiritually, you need what I have. He says, so that you may see. Again, he touches home with them and what blinded them? Pride. Their pride of what I can do is what really blinded them. Moving on to verse 19, he says, but as many as I love, he doesn't just leave them there. He doesn't just leave them that they have forsaken their values. He's trying to bring those values back to them. But he says, now you need to be in the place. <coughs> Excuse me. I didn't mean to do all that. He says, you need to be in the place where you deal with it. And it's one thing whenever he says, I have this against you, just like I was telling about my kids earlier. And I have this for you and I have this against you. But he's not going to leave you in the place of against you. He's saying, we need to deal with that. And the way you deal with that, he says, as, as many as I love, because it's not people who are not his children. This again reminds you that he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to kids, to children that are his it would have been a slap in the face to my dad if I would have said, you know what, me and my brother's in a fight. We're going to go to our neighbor and let him hear the situation and see what his discipline is. No, and under my parents' home, me and my brother got into a fight, probably something that he did to me, if you know my brother. But anyway, my, it was up to my parents, it was up to my dad to deal with that situation and to punish us accordingly. And so Jesus is telling them here, I'm outside. You want to deal with it. I'm going to deal with the ones whom I love. He says, I rebuke and I chasten. He says, therefore, because of this rebuke and this chastening, who we, we do not enjoy that. We do not enjoy the discipline of the Lord. If so, you're crazy. But we don't enjoy that. He says, but because of that is love wrapped in that. You know, we, I know as, as children, we didn't believe the uh, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Right. And we still don't believe it today. Right. But the thing is, we understand that the reason that we're correcting 
And the reason that we are trying to get them to understand as parents to children is because we want them to know. We want them to know. And the faster that they know, the better the situation is for all of us involved. And he says, listen, he goes, because of this rebuke and because of this chastening, he says in the last point in verse 9, be zealous and repent. Long for these things and repent of that. Turn away from what you're doing now. And he says, I want you to move toward the thing that I have talked to you about. And he says, because why? In verse, verse 20, behold, what am I doing? I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, there it is. He says, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. See, they only got a partial it was only a great situation to a degree. Jesus was walking with them on the earth, but you got to understand in the full context. When Jesus was there with the 12 disciples, they were very limited of what they could truly understand because they didn't have the full blessing of the Holy Spirit in their life. They got to ask Jesus questions, but it really didn't make a lot of sense to them. And that's why we got to understand the real blessings of the Holy Spirit in our life. Meaning that the Holy Spirit is there not only to lead us in salvation, but to make sense of the things that we're seeing and hearing, whether it's God's Word or, or just what's happening in our everyday life. God says His Spirit is there in our life, in our, in our hearts and our minds as believers to understand these things. And so when Jesus was saying, in three days I'm going to raise this back up as far as His temple, they needed to understand he was talking about him being raised back up. When Jesus would say to them, you know, I am all these things. I am the one that is sent by God to die on the cross for your sins. They were like, okay, yeah, they understood it to a degree, but they didn't fully understand it until they actually saw it. Whenever Jesus died on the cross and they started to piece it together, the gospel tells us that like, oh, that's what he was talking about. And then when the day of Pentecost came, the Bible says that the Spirit of God comes into our life to live inside of us as believers and to, for us to figure these things out, not on our own, but we figure it out through His Spirit that rests inside of us. And so he's telling them here, John had an opportunity to really sit with Jesus and talk with Him when He was on the earth. Now Jesus is telling these believers years later, that I want to be able to sit with you and talk with you, dine with you, to be able to deal with whatever is going on in your life, for us to have a sit-down meal conversation. I mean, and I really wish I was a really creative pastor where I could just and tell you, you know, can, could you imagine being able to sit down, I would say with our president, but let's say, we, you know, just somebody famous or somebody that you, would, that you really admire and sit down and be able to ask them something. Maybe, you know, besides Jesus, but to be able to really have their ear. Maybe it's sitting down with our boss. Maybe it's sitting down with somebody that's in some kind of great power or authority. That they could hear what you want and that other person, and you could hear what they want out of you. And a back and forth conversation to really get what? On the same page. Not only is he saying this to the church, but he's saying this to our individual lives that he wants that kind of relationship with us. He wants to sit with us and speak to us. Just like when I was crying out to him during difficult times in my workspace or difficult times in my family time or in my personal time, I can cry out to him in desperation and he'll speak to me. He wants that kind of conversation with me and dependence upon him each and every day of my life. He wants that kind of relationship with us. He longs for that kind of relationship with us. In that church, he was standing outside because they didn't need him. They put him outside. And for us, when we go around making decisions on our own, we're saying, God, I don't need you. When it makes sense to everybody else around us, we've, we've asked our friend what we should do about the job. We've asked our spouse what we should do about the job. We've asked, you know, a co-worker what we should do about the job, but we hadn't asked God what should we do about the job. And it may make sense to everybody else. It may not make sense to God. 
We don't know what he's saying. We hadn't stopped long enough to even ask him. Think about the decisions that you've made this past week, decisions that you're going to make this week. How much time are you spending with the Lord, communicating, dining with him, lunch with him? Maybe I should have talked. It wouldn't have been a it wouldn't have been a, a, a you know, as cute, I guess, if it would have been breakfast uh, with the Lord. You know, spend that early time with him, that beginning stages of, of the time with the Lord. When you're thinking about something from the beginning before you hash it all out to everybody else and then you finally come to the Lord for the final approval. He's saying, listen, I want to come in. I want to dine with you. And he says, I will come in with him and him with me. Verse 21, he says to him who overcomes, I will grant to him. I, I will I will grant to sit with me on my throne. And I will also I and I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He's saying you get to sit with me. You get to be with me on my throne. You know, when I talk about salvation. And Mallory's fixing to get baptized in just a little bit. She's saying that no longer her calling the shots in her life. And for me, whenever I came to know the Lord and I said, no longer me calling the Garen calling the shots in my life. Now, Jesus is going to sit on the throne of my heart to call the shots. So it's important for me to figure out what he wants to do with my life because I gave my life to him. And he's saying, when you do that, he's saying, I'm in the heavenly places. I'm doing what my father wants me to do. I'm on sitting next, uh, sitting on his throne and if you're with me and abiding with me, you're sitting there with me on my throne. In verse 22, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. It's important for us. You know, many of these came to light. They tell us on this church. Some of the mess that they were dealing with was because of new believers that were coming in. And. You know, there's a lot of things whenever I'm doing uh, having children's church. It's funny whenever I hear mom and dad's version of the situation. And then when I hear the child's version of the situation. And uh, there's a, a few stories that are just really, really funny uh, of hearing the parents version versus hearing the kids version uh, of the story. Kids will really take off the nice varnish of something that looks really good. We can really church it up. And when you ask the kids or you get the kids involved, it will, it, it will look a lot different and it'll feel a lot different. The same thing when new believers or Christians are coming into the situation of a church, they'll kind of make it a little uncomfortable in a good way. Because a church shouldn't be a closed door situation. It shouldn't be a closed system. It comes in and all of us just kind of are in a mess. And we're just trying to do what the Lord's wanting us to do. And sometimes those, that new life can cause some disruptions. As much as Mason is such a blessing to his parents, but he can real, really be uh, somewhat of a distraction, maybe. But you know what? You'll take that distraction. Right. You'll take that distraction. That was the little little one for not everybody that understands who Mason was. But you'll take that distraction because of the love that you have for him. And it's OK. And the same thing is for a new church and a new believers coming in is that you want to work with them. You want to help them not to be in a place of you've got to act like me and that I have it all together. There's so much that you can learn from a new person coming in and having that fresh excitement and life and zeal in their life. So why do I say this is because we should not be a closed system to what was happening here. These new Christians revealed some problems that were already there. It just revealed it. It just it just made it come alive. And so for us to be in a place where we're really examining our hearts, examining our lives. And I want to just turn real quick in my Bible and I'll be done of the attitude that the Lord's telling us when these people were coming in. And these problems are really starting to be revealed. And the Lord's saying to them, you know what? I'm standing at the outside the door. 
you really need to deal with this. And if you want me to come in as an individual, I will. If you want me to come in as a church, I will. And I will sit there and I will dine with them. He reminds us too, and I love this. I went back to Romans chapter 12, if you want to turn in your Bibles, to verse 9. He tells us of how we as believers should act. And when those, like I said, those new Christians came in, it really, it really revealed what was not happening in that church. And so for us, we need to be reminded of how we ought to act as believers. And I've said this many times before, and I'll say it again before I read this scripture. Whenever I would leave the house as a teenager, my dad would say to me, remember who you represent. Remember who you represent. And I knew that was two things in my personal life. And I don't know if he ever spelled it out for me, but this was always in my mind. I know I represent this house. I know I represented more than just Garen Dardar. It was a reflection of Gary Dardar. Whatever I did was a reflection of my daddy. So remember who you represent. And I knew bigger than that because of what he showed me through scripture and me having a relationship with the Lord. I knew I represented Christ. So I knew when I stepped out of the house that what if I did wrong, that's who I was responsible to. And that was a reflection off of those, off of my own personal house, my name as Garen Dardar, reflecting off of Gary, uh, Gary and Emma Dardar and also the Lord Jesus Christ. So be careful what I was to do. Romans chapter 12 with the train blaring in the background. Romans chapter 12 verse 9 says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. In other words, stay away from the things that are evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. Let others go ahead of you, showing that kind of affection for one another. He says, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. He says, rejoice in hope, patience in tribulation. He says, rejoice in the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus. Be patient in times of tribulation, continually, steadfastly in prayer, always going before the Lord, always crying out to Him, always having that place of dining with Him, with the Lord, and, and, and having an open conversation with Him. Us talking with Him, Him talking back to us. He's saying in verse 13, distributing to the needs of the saints. Giving to the other believers, being able to just really give uh, other people that, that are in need. Giving to hospitality, be a hospitable person. Bless those who persecute you. The people who are actually coming against you, he says, don't give an eye for an eye, but rather bless those who are persecuting you. That is the attitude of a Christian. He says, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be, be that kind of person, be that kind of Christian when he's telling us, I'm standing at the door and knocking, and you let me in, let's be reminded of what, who the people that we really should be. He says in verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. Let's be on the same page as we are helping each other out, putting each other first. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate yourselves with the humble. Was Jesus not a great example of this, the way he even came in as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, as living a lowly lifestyle and not taking the place as he could have the first time as king on David's throne, but yet he's going to come and do that one day with us, the Bible tells us. But he came as a, as a carpenter's son to live and to die a martyr's death for us, a sinful death, taking on our sin for us so that we can have a relationship with him. And he says, we need to have that kind of attitude towards each other and that we need to not associate ourselves with the high things, but with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. That's where this church of Laodicean was. They were wise, they were rich in their own opinion, but not in God's. Repay no one evil for evil, verse 17. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably, not with just the saints, but live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place, he says, but rather give place to wrath, for it is uh, written, vengeance is mine, 
I will repay, not for me, but the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, what do you, what do you should do? Feed him. If he is thirsty, your enemy, not just your friend, not your saint, not the saints around you, but your enemy. That's the attitude of a believer. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap up coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. Don't do it out of place of evil, but overcome evil with good. Never forget who you're representing. Never forget who is going to give you the strength to do those things. Because let me tell you something. Even if our prayer is not to, I mean, even if we don't want to do those things, asking God, God, give me the want to, to want to do those things. Because even though I wanted to do what I wanted to do, I needed to remember who I represented. And I want to tell people off and I want to give them my peace of mind when everybody else tells me they deserve to have that, me to say the things that I need to say to them. The Bible's telling us of how we ought to act because of who we represent. Let's pray this morning. Lord God, we love you and we praise you. We thank you so much, Lord God, for who you are. Thank you for your scripture. Thank you for your word, Lord God. And even through some of my ramblings, Lord God, this morning, I pray, Lord God, that through your scripture and your words, that our hearts were able to really just to hear the things that you were speaking to us. Of how we need to be able to be in a place that we can sit with you and talk with you and deal with things that are going on in our lives, starting with salvation and then each and every day of our life. Lord, you're big enough and strong enough to save us and to cleanse us to have a relationship with you. You're strong enough and mighty enough and caring enough to deal with each and every, every day the mundane things in our everyday life. The stresses that come on as far as with work and with family and with just life and temptations and, and uh, even in blessings as this church was experiencing. That we would be dependent upon you today. I pray, Lord God, that we have listened, we have heard but that now we'd be doers of your word. That we would go out and be the people that you would have us to be and we would remember who we represent. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name that we pray.